Hello, welcome to Sheffield Board Gamers. Uh, my name is Rick, and this is the podcast for the Board Games Club in Sheffield. I'm joined today by Tom Cauldron. Hello, Tom. Hello, Rick. Hello, and I'm also joined by Tom Lovewell as well. Hi, Tom. Hi, Rick. Hi, Tom. Hi. Thank you both for joining me. It's uh, another podcast, and uh, this uh, month we're going to talk about uh, some of the games that have been playing uh, recently. Question of the week, which is uh, what have you, uh, what abstract games have you played, or what are your favourite abstract games? So we're going to have a, a quick chat about that as well. Um, but first, before all that, I just wanted to have a quick chat about uh, what we've been doing this month. So um, this month, I've bought some component bins. So <laughs> it's. If you like me, you like upgrading your games, and you put like new, you know, you like new bits and bobs to put in there, things like that, upgrading components and things. Um, But um, I wanted to mention this because uh, I managed to get well, Dice Tower do a Kickstarter every year, and they uh, do rewards for like um, they do like a few promos and a few rewards and things for people that back them. So uh, they do loads of free content on the internet and the YouTube channels and stuff like that so i find that you know whenever i'm looking for a review or if i want to look for a game and i want to see where it looks like it's probably my first port of call if i'm looking at youtube there's either a video or a preview or something there from from the dice tower so you, i usually support them and, and you know send a, a few a few pounds over uh, so i did that last year and the, they sent over some component bins which are basically just like uh holders for your components uh, they're really thin plastic, like little plastic component holders, and they've got like a lid that fits on top. It's like a snap lid that clicks in, um, and they're just the perfect size for holding your your pieces in there. You can put coins in there, or cubes, or tokens, or whatever you want. Uh, the the lid comes off, so you can put them into your box, and they can wrap around in there, and everything will keep in this little box. And uh, when you take the lid off, it, it turns into like a little tray, but the sides of the tray are like really shallow, so. You know, when you've got, I've tried other stuff from Amazon. I've got like little boxes and things from Amazon and all all the faces are vertical, if you know what I mean, you know, the sides of the box. So when you're trying to get stuff out, it's a bit difficult, but these have got like rounded edges around the outside and they're quite shallow. So you can put them in the middle of the table and you can get stuff out of them quite easily. Um, so they're really good, and um, I've, I've used them for a couple of games. I've actually put them into one of my games. But this sounds uh, uh, actually pretty good. I, I think this is the sort of thing where you think, "Nah, I don't need them," until you actually try them, and then you actually think, "Right, I don't really don't want to yeah, play without yeah. them because it's so." so <laughs> I was going to say they sound almost like mini Tupperwares. Yeah, they, they are like kind that. of. Yeah, they're they're only like really thin plastic, and I, I don't know if they'll last very long, but. Um, um, but I can't find any any ones like it anywhere. Like I said, I've tried Amazon, and I've got some like little. You can get like little boxes for like jewelry and things like that with with like snap <laughs> lids and things. But sometimes they're too small, and like I said, the sides don't really fit. So you can you can dump stuff out on the table, obviously, and just using folding components. But yeah. I've looked everywhere for these, and I've, I can't find them anywhere. So um, I, I looked on the uh, on the website again, and uh, they're doing another Kickstarter this this year. So I can I packed them, and I'm going to buy ten more. So I got. I got five last time in different colours, so I'm going to get ten more. So I've, I've paid twenty dollars for these uh, these component pins. God. They're probably worth about ten p each. <laughs> get a couple of games for that. I've I've go to been to Hobbycraft and they've got sort of the little trinket hold. So basically, they're a small box. Have about ten, fifteen different sections, and they're really good for holding my um, X-wing miniature tokens in. Yeah, so the focus yeah, and all of that. So I have yeah, I've seen people of, using it for that before, yeah. Yeah, and I have another one which has got all the tokens I use for Keyforge. So things like that you can pick up at Hobbycraft or um, dice backing Dice Tower. And yeah, I can completely understand why you've fallen in love with them because those little kind of boxes can be invaluable for your tokens and stuff. Mm, yeah, they are. Uh, so that's 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 that. And then the other thing I wanted to mention was there's uh, a Kickstarter on for Isle of Cats. Uh, so I think we've talked about this before. I've I've spoken about it. I think Tom might have spoken about it as well. Mm, uh, Isle of Cats is like a yeah, like a family style kind of tile placing game where you put in tiles on a boat. Um, there's there's a, a Kickstarter out for the expansion, which is don't forget the kittens. <laughs> don't forget the kittens. Oh, add kittens. In. Uh, it oh. comes with various bits. So it's got kittens and beasts expansion. It's got like a little uh, module that you can add in. And I think it works with like the family game and the full game as well. Mm. Um, there's a boat pack with some different boats in there, uh, and there's some components for another player, I think, as well. 
So I, w- I was thinking about uh, backing this, and I was having a look at it, but it's £43 for the expansion. Oof, that seemed a bit expensive. expensive. Well, that's that's the three modules. That's the Kittens and Beasts module, the boat pack, and a Kickstarter pack two. I'm not sure what, quite sure what that is, but a few of the, a few extra cards, I think that is. So if if this was like a retail thing and you saw it in the shops and it was like twenty five pounds, something like that, thirty pounds, you probably it'd probably be something worth picking up. But forty three pounds plus you've got your shipping on top of that as well. So it just seemed a bit expensive. Have, have, have you backed any any Kickstarters and the, how do you find them price wise? Um, well, I, I I was thinking you're being very dangerous to my wallet um, until you said a it was just for the expansions before that price because I thought ooh <laughs> cats family game fit right at home here. Um, it's by City of Games, so Frank West based in Bristol. So actually, for me, the shipping wouldn't be too bad. I'd probably say, tell you what, it's just down the road from me now. I'll come pick it up. Um, yeah, that's true. It's a UK base, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And they are more on the independent side, which is, so I've tended now to move away. You know, I have backed a few big things from Call Mini or Not years gone by and mm. tend to back more of the independents. You can buy the expansion with a base game. It's £90. Yes, and I'll probably get a divorce <laughs> with that one as well. So um, <laughs> it's a bit strange that it's, it's so much. I don't know if it's because of the components or because well, of you know how things have been over the past year. I don't know. I'm not quite sure. But if, you know, there is going to be an element of the price, um, and that's probably retail price. It depends on if you get extra with the Kickstarter or not. But I know the City of Games will do good quality and their mm. price oh, yeah. is going to be yeah. based on the th- on what you get inside there. So they're not going to be trying to push it in any way. And I suspect that it's 43 cap quid because you've probably got three expansions. By the sounds of what you're saying, they're three expansions probably mm. of about 15 quid each. Uh, right. So yeah. that's yeah. what it's sounding like. I need to have a look at it, Helm. Well, what, what you were saying about the production, uh, that I agree with that is, um, that I've, I've got the base game and it comes in like a really nice big box. Uh, the tiles are really thick cardboard and nice, nice cards, nice tokens. The tokens are all like cat shaped meeples. Gorgeous artwork. It's all, well. it's all really good, really nicely produced. Cute cats. Oh, the kit. Oh, yeah. It's, well, from the box, it's looking like you've got so many extra bits. Yeah. It's going to be, if you think about it, you've probably got three expansions and you'd go, well, actually, you're spending 15 quid per expansion and you'd go for that i think i'd guess that it's the the three expansions all at once isn't it that's more of the hiccup mm, yeah I guess um, so, yeah but there's so much <laughs> bad person rick you should tell oh, me to hide my wallet before you talk about these things <laughs> kickstarter pack 2 is beast upgrades so you get 25 large printed beast meebles some uh, event Pretty. tiles, some extra cats, some new scorecards. So yeah, there's there's some stuff in there as well. So yeah, there's quite a few. Uh, quite I, a few I, it, it, yeah, it's a decent. In there. Yeah, it's a decent chunk of cash, but you're getting yeah, a lot from it. You do, yeah, yeah. Um, you get a lot out of it, don't you? Yeah. Well, I'm going to give a shout out to Pilfering Pandas that I'm probably by the time this goes out will have just finished its Kickstarter, but it's got enough to be backed. It's by Ren Games. And the artwork again is beautiful. It, it's a it's on a different sort of scale. So the um, it's a small box game, and to back it is considerably less. It's I think it's something about yeah seventeen pounds. <laughs> That's a bit more reasonable, yeah. <laughs> and, and this is the other difficulty. I've typically been going for the smaller things as well, which are mm. around about that that sort of twenty pounds under twenty quid price. Um, I was trying to think of the last big game I backed on Kickstarter, and that was Magnate. Um, and that was about 50, 60 quid. Mm. Um, it was a while back. But again, the components look really nice. Um, but it's also, but it's a game that I had actually played. So I went somewhere where James Naylor was demoing it, and it's a really nice game. So, mm. and yes, it has taken a while since the Kickstarter for it to come out. But he is making sure the quality is tippy top. Mm. So, um, in that, and this is one of the things that you've got some of these, um, publishers, creators that they're on to their fourth, third, or seventh. What is it? Um, what was it for? Um, don't forget the kittens. Um, 
Uh, how many has Frank West done? Created five. You know, he mm. knows what he's doing yeah, by now. Yeah. And it's a case of even if this does take a while, even if there are delays, you you know that you're going to get it because mm. he, he, he's on the money. I must say it is uh, it is tempting, yeah. <laughs> I like the new boats in there. They've got like different boats of different sizes. That's quite cool because all the boats in the base game are all the same kind mm-hmm. of shape. I just like the meeples. Yeah, the meeples are great. Yeah, little cat-shaped meeples. <laughs> okay, so that's, that's that. Well, there's uh, one more bit of uh, news recently, which is the uh, the board game club starting up again. I mean... It's seeing actual people in actual, on actual, playing actual board games in actual real life is, um, it's a relief to be honest. <laughs> I mean, uh, <laughs> so we're, we're back at the University yeah. Arms, uh, every Tuesday, yeah. like we used to be. With, I mean, there's a few changes, like, um, we can't just wander around and go to the bar every, every time we want. We can just, we order things to the table and, uh, we have to, uh, sanitize and sign in when we come in and stay on our, our tables rather than wandering around and uh, swapping groups all the time. But basically, we're sitting with human beings and playing games. And uh, it's mm-hmm. been going a couple of weeks now since we've uh, restarted it. The University Arms opened again. And I think it's going re- really well. It's, um, it's nice having a bit of normality. Yeah, it was definitely good getting back and seeing people again and, uh, yeah, playing a few games. Yeah, it was good. Yes, it must. I, I, I can really understand how nice that must be. I think having run a games club at school and because it's all with students, I've seen people enjoying playing games. So I kind of have forgotten how everyone else <laughs> must be feeling to actually go and break out of their normal gaming crowd. Uh, you know, the, I am playing with the people at home only and can go and play with others. And I think I've probably not spotted that. I mean, some people are still waiting until they've got a few more, um, uh, got a second jab or waiting until um, things are a little bit more open. But uh, yeah, we're having having a few people coming along uh, and it's been really good. Yeah. We had a a game together last week, me and Rick. Yeah. Yeah, we did. Uh, we did a lot of searching for planets. Well, we did. <laughs> you did a lot of finding of planets. <laughs> uh, so, we, is it Tom Planet Finder Cauldron? It is. Yep. Yes. Yeah. First, we searched for Planet X, and then we uh, quested for Planet Nine, which was a nice thematic evening. Um, so, the search for Planet X is a. Um, it's a sort of logical deduction game where you you. Uh, being fed bits of information about this this board, which is split into, uh, we were playing on the basic side, which has twelve sectors, and each sector has something in it, or it's just empty space. But you don't know what. You get a few bits of information at the start, and as you're playing through the game, you get a few more bits of information, like uh, you you might do a survey of this section of the uh, the the board and it, the app tells you that there are two asteroids in that section somewhere. It doesn't tell you exactly where. It's all played by an app, so you've all got to put in... Um, well, one person starts the game and gets a code, and everyone puts in the same code, so you're all playing the same game. Uh, and the app tells you the answer to your questions. Like, uh, one of the actions might, might be to search um, these three sectors for asteroids, or four sectors for a dwarf planet, or you might do research, which in which, which gets you another nugget of information about how asteroids and gas clouds interact, like there are no gas clouds opposite to an asteroid. Uh, and you get more and more bits of these information, and you can piece together the logic, and the thing you're trying to find is, as the name of the game indicates planet x so all of these sectors it might have a dwarf planet or a gas cloud or an asteroid or it might be empty space or it might be planet x the game continues until someone finds uh, just states that their action is to say planet x is here 
and then they ask the app and see whether they're right or not. Uh, and if they are, then um, everyone else gets one more turn to try and get some more points, and and then that's the end of the game. So the getting actually finding the planet does get you some points, but there are other ways of getting points by do by publishing research about the uh, the contents of the night sky. Like if you've put down a research paper saying that there are, there is an asteroid in this place, and it turns out to actually be, have an asteroid in that place, and that gets you a certain amount of points. So over the course of the game, the, we had a four-player game, and it ended a bit abruptly. I thought. I don't know how Rick Rick might give the op- other side of of this because um, <laughs> I announced that I knew where Planet X was, and put it in the app and turned out to be right. You've got to identify uh, which sector it is and what is in each each sector on either side. So you need to have a fairly solid bit of information. Um, and everybody else at the table says, said, what? I've got no idea. Where, where, how can you possibly know? <laughs> so it seemed like um, everyone else was a few turns away from finishing by the time I did. And I, and I still don't know whether I just got really lucky with the information that I got or whether all the Sudoku I've been playing recently uh, and watching <laughs> Cracking the Cryptic on YouTube and things, um, whether that made me just put all the t- all, uh, squeeze every last bit of logic out of the uh, information I was giving and just <laughs> play it better. I don't know. Um, yeah. and, but it did yeah. feel like it could have been a bit of a a bit of a, a, a damp squib at the end of the game if you lose and you've got no idea where everything Ill is. I don't know how do you how did you feel about that, Rick? Were you, were you sort of on the verge of a discovery or No, I was nowhere near. Okay. <laughs> no. I was um, on the research bits that you mentioned. I, I was um, I was guessing some of the ones, and I was I, I was certain of one, I think, and I was guessing the other one to try and fi- figure stuff out. But that acts like a kind of timer, doesn't it? Because you're kind of releasing information, and then when it gets down a couple of turns later, you you, you reveal it, and then people know whether there's that thing there or not. But um, yeah, that gives a bit of information to everybody. Yeah, I was I was yeah. quite away from from answering the question, and uh, I don't think that. I still had fun. I still enjoyed the game. I don't think it put me off at all. I think I, uh, mm. if anything, I would rather want to play it again just to try and see if I could beat that and try and, you know, ask the right questions at the right time. At the, uh, because it was everybody's first game, I think. Had Mark played it before? It was his game. Um, yeah, uh, I think anyway, so. Anyway, yeah. we all started uh, at beginner level, which means you get quite a lot of information right at the start. Mm. But you can adjust it so, like, if um, one person's just better than someone than everyone else, or if um, parents playing with kids, you can set your games at different levels. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, the parent might have four bits of information, but the kid goes on beginner level and gets uh, eight bits of information mm. uh, to start with. So they start with a little bit more to work with. Which um, so if you know what levels people are at you can balance it but we were all we all, none of us knew what we were doing uh going in so we were all starting at the same level yeah and he did say right if we were playing again we'd adjust it but um which, i don't know how that would how you'd do that for the first game yeah yeah as a question how much is it sounded like you're talking about the app all hmm. the time is it very app focused or is it just a little bit could you play it without an app, or is it, no, you must be part digital? You, no, the app is absolutely integral to it, I think, unless you've got somebody sitting there with all the answers and just answering the questions to you all. But that would I don't think anyone's going to do that. It's not as interesting as being a games master for a yeah, boring GM yeah. kind of thing. Um, yeah, right. I think you need the app. and it. Uh, but it was very... Uh, I mean, we weren't constantly on the phone. It was just um, consider the the information that you know, consider the board, how much can I risk doing this? And then, right, I'm doing answer. Uh, I'm doing this action, type into the app, I'm doing this, what's the answer? That. It it was very smooth. Yeah, you're only looking at the app for a little bit, yeah. aren't you? Yeah, and then the rest of the time, you're looking at your, your sheet where you're writing down your clues and you're looking at the board and... Yeah, figuring out how much time you've got and things like that. Yeah, everyone's got a little notepad behind their screen where they're trying to note down all the information that they've got and crossing off possibilities. 
Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I thought it was great. Uh, yeah, it's really, really streamlined, like you said. Um, really good fun, and I'd, I'd love to play mm. it again. You'd have some sort of a uh, uh, sort of meta game going on, like maybe next time when I when I say that I know where the dwarf planet is, mm. they want to go. Ah, right. So, always put research down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You you write down when other people ask questions as well, and, mm. and what you know what they're looking for. Yeah, you announced really to, to you announced to the game, table. But... I'm doing research about asteroids in this sector of space, but you don't tell them what the app has told you. you just, but everyone knows what you've what you've searched for. And does that affect things much? It might do. I mean, I was writing down everything that everyone was doing. Ah, right. Mark has yeah, just yeah, done research <laughs> on gas clouds, um, but I don't know how much that, any of that information helped. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ellie, it well, did. Yeah, because you won. <laughs> Not based on that, I think. Uh, so that might we might get more sort of um, in-depth strategies as we play it more. I don't know. But yeah, it, it mm. was um, mm. it was a very smooth experience, and it set up some interesting logic puzzles. Definitely sounds interesting. Yeah. And then, as I say, after that, we um, played the crew, the quest for Planet Nine. Partly because uh, we wanted to play it, but also because it was uh, it was neat having the the two of them together. We found Planet X now. T- <laughs> next planet. If someone releases something about searching Planet Eight, we'll uh, we'll play that as well. <laughs> I was going to say the final one should be the pla- the captain is yes. dead <laughs> and just yeah. finished it all off. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't really intend to have a thematic evening, but it's nice when it happens. Well. A few weeks ago, I think it's actually more like um, Easter holidays, we picked up Stuff Fables. Most Sundays, a few exceptions um, aside, we've been playing one story from Stuff Fables at home, and everybody's loving it. So mm. um, it's it's the new game we've been doing. And to, going back to our earlier conversation, it's not the cheapest of games, but when you pick it up, you know you've got, a game because it has got a heft to it. It's one of these storybook games. I think Mice and Mystics was the first one by uh, Plaid Hat Games, but and there is an expansion that's come out for Stuffed Fables. Don't tell my son because <laughs> he'll want it. Um, <laughs> but it's it's a nice game. You know, you'll look at it and you'll go, the artwork is gorgeous, and it is. Um, it it plays. It's basically like a game version of. The choose your own adventure books, hmm. and but hmm. it's a it's co op. So every player chooses one of six characters, and you play it through. And so you've got an introduction page, which is story, and then you turn over to the next page, place your miniatures down, set it all up, and you play a little a scene. Basically, each page is a scene in the story, and you've got different sections, and you can either um, move, you move to certain bits. And, it, and the gameplay changes, so the first, dependent on where it is in the story, and it's got a whole story arc as well, which is really nice. Um, and they've aimed it really well for their family group, because, as I said, myself, my wife, my son, we've been playing it, we're all enjoying it. But I, it's sufficiently scary that my son has said, Daddy, I don't like the dark hearts, but not enough to give him the heebie-jeebies and not sleep at night, but enough for him to be concerned and the level of attack you know of danger with the baddies the mongols and things that my son has gone oh the mongols are there we've got to get rid of them soon because they're really dangerous so they've hit the threat level really quite nicely um mm. and as you go through the story you, you um uncover different bits um I I go into bedtime story mode, and so I've given the different characters voices. So Stitch talks in an old voice because he's their parents' old Teddy. And then Lumpy's a little bit scared, <laughs> and so I do a bit of a uh, an Eeyore type voice. But but it helps bring the story, and it really is. It says it's a storybook game, and it is, and the sto- and, and it works in that respect. But. For its price, I don't know if we're going to behave through it a second time round. Hmm. We're five hmm. out of seven stories in, and yes, you can replay a story, 
but you kind of know what's going to happen. And I don't know if that will influence things. So I'm, I'd like to try it and, mm. and see once we've gone through it once, if we do play it again and how that affects things. But I just have this feeling that it might be a playthrough once. Mm. That said, it's a great playthrough once if it has to is be. This, and is this aimed um, uh, is specifically a, a aimed right. at children or, or would uh, adults, a group of adults, uh, have fun playing this? Maybe not I doing think the voices. A group of adults. <laughs> you're allowed to do the voices. I think, you know, there is enough challenge there. It is not, you know, it is not a difficult game, but neither is it an easy game. Again, it de- also depends on, you know, if you like your hard, um, brain chewing kind of strategy game, then you'd probably go, it's, there's not that much to it. Um, but I think it'd be, it'd be enjoyable, certainly. Um, there, there is the story, there is the sense of threat, there is the sense of uncovering things all the time. Um, and it's certainly enjoyable, and I, won't, and I do not regret the 12, 14 hours plus we've already invested in it. Um, so, yes, definitely a worthwhile game um, to get, even for adults. But I do think it works even better for families. I think, you know, I would very happily say to someone, look, you got if you've got a seven-year-old, eight-year-old, nine-year-old, um, or a group of children, I've said to my brother, look, think about getting this in a year or two's time because his youngest is six, probably wouldn't have the patience with it. Mm. But he's got three daughters, and I, and I reckon sort of around Christmas time, the three of them with parents would quite happily sit down and really enjoy it. And there is that balance of you're working together. There's enough, you know, my nieces are not quite diehard Doctor Who fans like my son is, but I don't think it's, you know, whereas my son is quite happy to deal with Cybermen and Daleks, I don't think my nieces would, but I think they wouldn't be too scared by this either. So I think Mm -hmm. it's got that great balance for families. Mm. So the, uh, the the actual uh, missions themselves, the adventures that you go on, is it like more, mostly combat based, or is uh, it like, do, do you go around and pick stuff up and move stuff around, or you, so, you go like exploring? What what's the? Well, it depends on the story. So the current story we just finished involved the Tooth Fairy, and mm. the last page we had combat, and right. so we were explore. You know, no, sorry. The, there are two pages we had combat and we didn't necessarily have to get to the last page to win. So we could oh, have okay. been, you know, they've got um, these, um, what's called, there's the lost deck. So uh, as the story goes on, you've got speech bubbles on certain pages, which is where you talk to some of the population of the fall, which is where it's set in, which is this mm. magical realm where toys kind of l- forgotten toys go to. Um, and your stuffies, the heroes who are protecting their little girl, go there for different adventures. And you okay. talk to the lost and you get moral questions. So, um, for example, there's one where you've got a um, karate doll and someone has twisted his head round. Now, <laughs> do you spend the time to twist their head around? Or just say, well, actually, you can move your arms and work that way. And and you get a bonus sometimes, dep- different bonuses for different things. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you don't get a bonus at all. And so that's really quite nice as you're exploring these sort of moral dilemmas. And so, yeah, as I said, we could have spent all our time moving through different areas and very little combat. Mm-hmm. Um, there was the Canyon Falls, this last one, where you had the three nasties at the top and you had to move from one place to another using different skills as mm. they moved bowling balls down that could hit your stuffy and knock you off. <laughs> and, and actually how you moved through the board was important for that one. But as you said about combat, there are times when it's just a case of, no, there are nasties and you need to stand up to the baddies. Yeah. But the stories and the moral elements carry on to the story bit, and it talks about, a standing up to the bullies, but also about having the compassion as well. Mm. 
So it really does try to balance things out nicely. Yeah, I definitely recommend it um, to families, but also it is a a decent game for um, adults, just not necessarily the hardcore gamers like your really deep thinky games. They might find it a little too light for them. Mm. I've uh, seen some pictures of this, and it does look gorgeous as well. Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah, it does. And and the miniatures, you know, they're good quality miniatures. They're not, you know, I've had some miniature games, and, and I just look at the minis and go, mm, no, these ones have got me thinking. When I pull my thumb out, I ought to undercoat them and get painting <laughs> on some of these. Oh. <laughs> but anyone who knows me knows that. I am rather hit or miss or miss or miss at my frequency <laughs> of painting. Okay, yeah, sounds good. Um, okay, so one game that I've played recently is a game called Chronicles of Crime 1400. This is kind of a follow-up to Chronicles of Crime, uh, which was released by Lucky Duck uh, a couple of years ago, I think, where uh, it's, again, an app-driven game, similar to Planet X, where you got an app and you have... A box of cards, which are like portraits of people. Uh, there are some locations, some cards which represent locations, and there are some cards re- which represent some objects. So the idea is that you're a knight in the uh, city of Paris in 1400, and you have these visions or dreams that you can see where, uh, you know, things have happened, and people therefore come to you to try and try and solve these crimes that have happened. Burn the witch. Yeah, <laughs> there there is a witch a witch finder case in there. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you're obviously the witch. You're getting visions. You've obviously done a deal with the devil. <laughs> uh, so it's a uh, yeah. It's kind of it's more of the same sort of thing, really. If you played Chronicles of Crime, it's a it's a very similar game. You get a uh, an app which tells you the story to start off with, and it tells you who the murderer is. Uh, sorry, who the victim is. And you get told um, to point it in the right direction of, you know, where the body is or, the you know, a couple of suspects or stuff like that. Uh, you put these cards out on the table and the cards have little QR codes on them. And what you can do is you can scan them with the app and then the app tells you what that person tells you. So you could scan a person and then you start talking to that person. And they could scan an object like, a, I don't know, a candlestick that you found. And the guy will who you're talking to will tell you what he knows about that candlestick. So it's quite open-ended in that you can go to any of these locations that you found. You can go to any of these people and ask them about anything that you found so far. And as you ask questions, you found out extra people, extra objects and locations and things that, that kind of unfolds. And uh, your goal is to solve the crime before the time runs out. So moving between locations costs you units of time on the app. The app keeps track of it all for you. Talking to people gives units of time. And you've got uh, a couple of days uh, in the app to solve these cases and after the time runs out, you have to go back to the uh, person who hired you to, to solve the case and tell them what you found out. So you get asked some questions in the app, and you have to answer the questions uh, going down, and, and then it gives you a score, depending on whether you're how close you are, what you're right or wrong is, and what the motivations were of the killer and things like that. So uh, this one is very similar to the um, modern-day one, like I said, and... Um, the only difference is you get these vision cards which show you kind of what's happened. Uh, so before you start the adventure, when you uh, you know get initially told on the app, you get like some vision cards which are like uh, pictures of, of what's happened during the case. So, uh, and, you know, it contains some of the people you're going to speak to and stuff. So that's, that's a new thing. And it also adds in a dog as well. You've got a dog called Percival. Hey. <laughs> so you can uh, scan your dog and then you can scan something that you found like an object and he'll run off and he'll tell you, you know, who the owner is or he'll find out where, you know, where, where it's come from or something like that. So you've got an extra, uh, an extra option there. So do you, uh, do you still have the, uh, virtual reality part where you're at the crime scene and you're waving your phone around to look at different parts of? Yeah, you do. Yeah. Yeah. When you, uh, when you arrive at certain locations, you can look around, uh, and it'll have stuff on the screen that you have to find the cards for. So maybe some books or a murder weapon or whatever it might be. Um, yeah. So it's very, very similar. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so we played this, we played this two player and took us about an hour to go through each mission, each, uh, each uh, adventure. There are four, there are four in the box, I think. And then there's one like little tutorial one that introduces you to the game. Um, so yeah, we, uh, we, we really enjoyed it. It's, um, 
Uh, I have got a couple of niggles, though. The, the one thing I would say is that um, it probably wouldn't have cost them much to put a few more adventures in there. Uh, like I said, we played all four adventures, and they take about an hour each. Uh, and then once you've done with it, obviously you, you don't you can't really play it again because you know what's happened. So you, you kind of spoil the adventure for you, so you don't. There's no going back and replaying it really, unless you you know want, you want to increase your score. But by then, obviously, you know who the killer is and what they've done and everything, so it makes it a bit pointless. I feel like they could have put a few more adventures in because it's all on the app. Um, even the app, you know, the adventures that are in the app, it reuses some of the people for for different roles. So in one adventure, like, you'll have a portrait on a card and it'll be this person, but then in, a, in another adventure, there'll be somebody completely different. So it reuses locations, it reuses people, and I think it wouldn't be too difficult to, you know, put 10 in there. If you look at, like, Sherlock Holmes games, it's, it's very similar to those, and they have, like, 10 in the box. So uh, uh, there's not there's not that much playability in there, but once you've played it, you can always pass it on to somebody else. You can sell it on or, you know, swap it for a different game. Uh, and then the other thing I wanted to mention was, or it's not that difficult. It's not sorry. It's not that different to the original game. Uh, I feel like, like if you play like the Exit Room games, for example, they kind of expand on the rules on each one, and each one does something slightly different. On this one, I felt it was very, very similar to the original one. Probably not as different as I would thought it would have been. Uh, there's no new mechanics in there, like I said, apart from the vision cards. Um, it's all pretty much the same thing. So if you enjoyed Chronicles of Crime, it's probably something that you'd, you'd really enjoy. And we did enjoy playing through it. Uh, probably something that you know that you enjoy. If you like the, like, like Sherlock Holmes games and things like that. If you enjoy a good murder mystery, um, then yeah, it's worth, worth playing through. Yeah. I went into, uh, Patriot Games a week or two ago to, uh, to actually get this exact thing, but they didn't have any Chronicles of Crime 1400. What they did have was Chronicles Crime oh. 1900. <laughs> so they're putting out um, a series of these. Um, oh, I want to say the Millennium series, but I might be wrong. Mm. Um, no, I read that it's the Millennium series. All oh, right, that's good. Uh, I've got a habit of every every podcast I get, I just state some fact, which is totally wrong. But uh, so I'll, I'll just <laughs> You stated one that's correct. <laughs> I know. Well done, Tom. There's still time. <laughs> um, yeah, I get Elgar mixed up with Holst or... Um, Dale Carnegie mixed up <laughs> Alan Drew Carnegie. Anyway, sorry. This uh, back to this. Yeah, Chronicles of Crime nineteen hundred, obviously, is um set in the year nineteen hundred. It's still in Paris, uh, and apparently it's um some descendant of the person in the fourteen hundred one, but this time he's not a psychic. Well, so yeah. I don't know. Uh, I've only we've only played the tutorial mission so far, so you know maybe his psychic powers will materialize, mm. later, materialize later on. Uh, he's an investigative journalist, so obviously he turns up at crime scenes and investigates things, because, oh, I don't know, police are fine with that somehow. Uh, but yeah, we played the tutorial, and it all worked very well. Um, I've, I've only played one other um, mission from the Chronicles of Crime, the original one, uh, and it seemed to work very similar. There's, there was one thing in this that I don't remember from the original box, which is um, uh, puzzle cards. So there was one time where it, where an element you found, it said, get a... Get a uh, uh, one of the cards from the puzzle deck, and uh, oh. and then uh, you uh, some of these add, this one added, added up to um, a code to break, um, and there's a character in there that that can help you with breaking uh, with solving the puzzles if you need help. But yeah, it was um, that seemed like a, a different element that I couldn't remember seeing in the original one. So then maybe that's something they've added into this mm. in the tutorial. It, it was a very neat. Very neat little code breaking uh, thing, but there's a whole deck of them, so I'm sure there's quite a lot more coming up in the in the full full games. Are these like the escape rooms where you can have one person or many people? Or do you you know, or does it benefit from having several people to help solve the ministry mystery, or can you just do it on play it solo? It could everything would work playing it solo, but I think you'd definitely benefit from having yeah. from talking about. Uh, what's happening and how things fit together. Like um, with Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective, you could totally read through that book on your own, but you don't get to talk about your theories with people. Uh, and mm-hmm. that's the that's the main point of it. So yes, it right. could be played solo, but I think it's a better experience with uh, a group. So, well, just listening to the two of you talking about two games in the same series, if, say, you and your mates each bought a game and then went well 
I've finished playing this, says Rick. You've finished playing yours, Tom. Why don't we swap? And so then you get to sort of say, pay the same price and both of them. Would you then say that's beginning to feel a better value for money? That sounds like a good idea yeah. to me. Yeah. Um, the, the only thing is, though, uh, I, I spoke about a math trade that I was doing uh, a few episodes ago, and another one's popped up now, and I, put it, I actually put it on the math trade to swap with somebody. Oh, no. So if, if he gets swapped, <laughs> get off, then get unfortunately he's gone. Oh, well. <laughs> it's too oh, late. Well. I've submitted it now. Sorry. I think <laughs> the price is fairly reasonable. We, uh, we, we get around to swapping it, but... Yeah, even I don't if they were expensive, yeah, don't get to trade it with something. Yeah. I think it was like, um, was it twenty eight pounds or thirty pounds or something? I think it's twenty something. Yeah, um, yeah. And like I think there's four cases in there, uh, so that'll be like five or six hours maybe of uh, mm. game time, mm. which is I don't know, it's 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 reasonable. I think I, I, there's there's games that I've paid more for that I've played less <laughs> sitting on my shelves <laughs> upstairs. <laughs> Okay, so that's uh, Chronicles of Crime. Uh, what what other games you've been playing? Uh, well, I've got a nice little two-player game from uh, the Treehouse, which is called The Fugitive. I, I, actually, I think when I went in, they said, "Oh, I saw Rick coming in. He bought the same game. Did you get The Fugitive as well?" I did. Yeah, I did. Yeah, <laughs> have you played it yet? Yes, I have. Yeah, yeah. It's um did you ever see the the T V series or the film? Harrison Ford and Tommy Tommy Lee Jones? Am I making that up? Is that my fact that I've got wrong this time? If it, uh yeah. Yeah, no, I know what you mean, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, it <laughs> but the original series, um Doctor Richard Kimball on the run from the US Marshal uh, in search for the yeah, one armed man it, yeah. who killed his wife yeah. and thing. Yeah, I mean mm. obviously <laughs> that's a an uh, inspiration for this. I don't think it's actual IP game, um, the game of the film or the TV series, but it's it's definitely they've got the sixties aesthetic with all the uh, yeah, angular yeah. drawings. Um, the uh, it's a two player game. One player p- plays the fugitive, and one player plays the marshal, and it's basically. The fugitive puts down cards which are numbered from oh what's it what does it go from one to forty or something? One to fifty? I think so, yeah. Yeah. Oh, um and the marshal has to try and identify which what number they are on. So you have to the fugitive has to put the cards down in order and after a few turns they they'll be revealing where they were like three turns ago. And the marshal gets more and more information about what cards they've got left. Like they can see which deck they put the card is, whether it's from one to twenty or twenty to forty or forty to fifty or whatever it is. Um, hmm. So they know roughly where where in the deck they are or whether they're getting close to the finish. Um, and if they ever manage to find the exact number. That they're on, or turn over all their cards and guess guess them all correctly, then the marshal catches them. But if the fugitive ever manages to put down the last card, that's uh, which has got a picture of them flying away on an aeroplane, they've escaped. Uh, <laughs> and it's it's um, a very it, it's a fairly simple game, but it's got a lot of tension on both sides. Where you, mm. the fugitive thinks, "Oh, they've definitely caught me! They've definitely caught me!" and the marshal thinks, "Oh." definitely getting away they're definitely getting away <laughs> and there's a few extra little um special cards event cards that you can add in as well which uh give uh boosts to one side or the other at certain times um i haven't played with those yet but they look interesting i don't know have you rick have you played with uh, those? no i haven't no i've just played the base game same as you uh, but yeah, it's, uh, I, I really enjoyed this. Mm-hmm. I thought it was great. Um, I think I played the fugitive and Tracy played the marshal. So she was trying to, you get like a little pad where you can cross off. It's a bit like deduction kind of thing. You can cross off certain cards that have been played. So you know they're not at that mm-hmm. location and you've got a bit of information about, um, how far ahead they've jumped and things like that. So you can kind of work out, you know, roughly where you think they might be. And then the other person's kind of maybe bluffing a little bit and maybe playing cards that they don't need to to try and put them off the scent. It's a, yeah, it's really good. It's, uh, it's probably unique in that I don't think I've played a game like it really. Yeah. 
I can't remember mm. seeing something like that. It, it feels a bit like um, Scotland Yard, if you've ever played that. No, I don't think I have, no. No, it's so, uh, played on a map no. where uh, you've got several players playing uh, the police and one player playing Mr. X. Mm. Uh, there was uh, a hidden movement around the, uh, the board and the police have to try and capture him. Uh, but, he, he, but the police, for some reason, are on a very low budget and have to have a limited amount of bus fares. Uh, so, yeah. um, and, uh, oh no, Mr. X got away because uh, we, uh, our boss won't pay for another bus fare. Um, but yeah, it, it's got the same feeling as that of mm. both sides thinking they're about to lose. Yeah, yeah, which is a uh, really nice. Yeah. yeah, and there's just enough hidden information that you're not, you're not, quite, you're never quite sure how far ahead the other person is yeah. or how far you are behind. And there's some moments where uh, the marshal is. It's right there. They're almost mm, on yeah. top of the thing. The, and, the, and you uh, can see you like. can see what what uh, numbers they've crossed off on the pad. And you've played a card, and you can yeah. see there that that number's the only one they've not crossed off on the pad. And they're looking at it, and you're looking at them, and they're looking at you. <laughs> <laughs> it's very nice little. It's a it's a fairly quick little yeah little thing, and it's a uh, it's got a really nice um, feel to it. Yes. Yeah, oh, it comes in a, and and the artwork and the presentation of it is lovely. It comes it is, in a yeah, in a really little good. box which looks like a suitcase, mm. and every single numbered card is a is a next element in the story, starting with the fugitive uh, seeing the marsh on a, bal- on a balcony and then jumping off there and running along the street <laughs> and then through a club and then yeah yeah. I I mean as soon as we played the first game, I got all the cards out and put them out in order to see the story. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's it's, it's, it's lovely artwork. Yeah, it's yeah, good. It's really, yeah, cool is exactly the right word for mm. it. Okay, um, we're kind of running out of time, so uh, shall we jump on to question of the week? Okay, so question of the week is abstract games. Uh, what abstract games have you played? Which ones do you enjoy? Is there any that you don't like? Um, I guess uh, this, the, the, probably the first question is, uh, I mean, all board games are abstract to some extent. You know, when you're playing you, I, Pand- pandemic, you're not racing around the country, kind of curing people. You're just moving cubes on the board. So, what, what kind of, what, how yeah. did you pick your abstract games? What kind of, did you pick any criteria to pick them by? Well, I, I was thinking about that, and and it's, you know, one of the biggest issues is difference between theme and setting, and a lot of people confuse that. But that's a whole different question. What's the difference between theme and setting? But whereas I do think there's a lot. Looking at one of the some of the things people were saying, I think if you can take away the setting and play it. So I think Hive was an abstract game that a lot of people mentioned, and whilst it you would say it's themed around bugs, actually it's more of a bug setting if that makes sense. Mm. Whereas I would say Pandemic, there is a lot more of the game. You know, it is themed around. Um, contagion and actually certain mechanics behave a bit like um a contagion breaking out so it's tried to tie it in a lot more of a theme if that makes Mm -hmm. sense but i was almost going to say wasn't your um in search of planet x almost like an abstract game but um i think it's a difficult question to ask but i have had a few thoughts on abstract games anyway um, yeah, it's a it's a tricky right. one because, like, even some abstracts, they do have a, a bit of a theme on there. So you can't say, "Oh, it's a you know, there's a if it's got a theme, it's not an abstract." But when I was looking, I was mainly, I was mainly looking at the kind of two player games where you kind of go backwards and forwards, maybe a little bit chess like, mm. maybe a little bit you know, you've got some pieces, I've got some pieces, we've got a board in between us, that kind of thing. Yeah, my uh, initial thought for abstract is, is abstract strategy games. Where you've got um, like a simple rule set, and most of them are pretty much perfect information. Like you can plan out exactly what's going to happen for next, uh, well, now to the end of the game. Apart from not knowing what your opponent's doing, um, some of them. I mean, I mean that's um, a little bit fuzzy because you can have some things which have not perfect information. Like Azul is an abstract hmm. game. You can everyone's doing uh, solving this puzzle, but then you don't know what's going to be brought out of the of the bag, which tiles on which factories uh, for the next round. So it's not exactly not exactly perfect information, perfect strategy mm. like chess or go or mm-hmm. something. But I think it still comes under the 
same sort of um yeah i, I was thinking yahtzee is my first thought mm. Mm. um oh, yeah. you know the, those kinds of role and rights were actually but i mean but that's, that's nothing it, that's definitely it, not perfect you've no idea what you're going to roll are you? But no it's, it's, it's totally... all probabilities isn't it so yeah. it's probability manipulation but I think, unfortunately, tre- chess and Go are some of the classic abstracts where it is perfect information. You know, the only mm. thing that's affected is what the opponent's doing. Um, and in that respect, I think Santorini is one. You know, it is. You've got the setting of an, you know, of the Greek island, but actually, you take that away. You take away the god Pat. You know. They've tried to do the different rules for the god powers, and they've tried to tie them into what the god is famous for. But actually, that's irrelevant to how it plays. Uh, and mm. I think that's probably a good example of a modern abstract game. You can pull away its setting, and it's played like an abstract game, and you do have that perfect information, as you were saying, Tom. Yeah, I think um, the... What, like what you were saying about um, pandemic um, is in some way abstract, but I think that's a game where the theme matters. If you took away the theme from Santorini, it would still be just mm. as deep and interesting a game. Um, but if you took away the theme from pandemic, that informs so much about what you're actually doing and what the meaning of the uh, all the different things moving around the board is. That I don't think it would work without it being the pandemic theme. Yeah. Um, but I think, yeah, so I think my working definition for abstract games is things where if it has a theme, you could take it away and it wouldn't really miss anything. Like, um, well, hey, well, that's, that's why I was trying to make that Perfectly definition. Themed. It's got a whole theme. It's got, you can do characters. It's, you can tell what's happening. These penguins want to catch fish. Fine. But if you took away, uh, the, away that theme, it would still work perfectly well. It's a, <laughs> yeah. a simple abstract game. Yeah. Yeah. There are some bigger abstract games as well, like uh, Randy Knizia's map games, like um, uh, what's the um, uh, what's the what's the one with a map where you have like fighting on the board and stuff. There's there's a few of his games that are uh, Tiger with that's, <laughs> that's the one. Yeah. Uh, memory, memory slip there, but uh, yeah, that's kind of abstract. Where you, it's, the theme doesn't really matter. You're kind of moving tokens around on the board and trying to you know cut them together mm. and make cities and things like that. Did, would you consider those kind of games abstract? Yes, I think, uh, yeah, um, I think the theme there does help a little bit in explaining what's, what the meaning of different things are, like, oh, two kings can't live in the same city and, mm. um, and things like that, because they, they, then they have to have a fight. But yeah, I think the, the main thrust of that game is, uh, solving the puzzles that the, um, the position, the, the, the board state gives you. Mm. It, again, it doesn't have perfect information because you don't know exactly what tiles everyone's hiding behind their screens. Uh, you might go, aha, I'm going to fight your, your king and then someone else as well. I'm going <laughs> to dump all these red tiles that I've been hoarding uh, and just win. But yeah, I think you can come up with clever plans about I place this here and then they do that and then, but then, aha, I can still do this and uh, I've manipulated everything so that I get this massive city all to myself. Um, it's it's about the way it makes you think as well. That sort of thinking through logical problems and mm. uh, visualizing branching possibilities. I mean, obviously, the amazing things that chess players do is the mm. uh, biggest adva- uh, example of that. We watch. Uh, we just started watching um, Queen's Gambit on next Netflix. So. Oh yeah, yeah, it's really <laughs> it's, good. Uh, I enjoyed that. And yeah, she yeah. sits staring, staring at the ceiling and visualizing all the yeah. the pieces moving <laughs> around. And, yeah. <laughs> that's uh, that's sort of the um, the idea that everyone's got of of what people are thinking when they're playing <laughs> these abstract games. Yeah. Uh, have uh, you played any oh. of the GIP games? Have you played uh, GIP or Yinch or Devon or any of those ones? Uh, I've played a couple. Have you played um, Yinch? I played Yinch. That's the one I've played with a um, with a round the, the rings. rings. Yeah, yeah, that was a good one. Yeah, I enjoyed that. Yeah, that's, that's properly it's abstract. A... That there's no cards or dice. It's just the pieces that are on the board, 
Um, yeah, and uh, all you got to do is move a piece to, from one place to another, mm-hmm. but all the possibilities just branch off into um, just two moves down the road. You've got uh, millions of possibilities. It's, yeah. Yeah. I, I like how that one kind of you, – you've got five rings each, but then when you – I think you have to get five in a row. Is that right, of your colour? And then when you do that, you have – that you have to lose right. one of your rings, yeah. which makes it more difficult. So the other side has an advantage yeah. then, and then when they lose one of when they win the next round, they lose one of their rings down to four each. So I like how it kind of balances out a little bit, and uh, that makes it that makes it really good. I've not played any of the other ones, so yeah. And the Gift series has uh, been is a a series of perfect strategy abstract games that have been mm. that have been done by this is it just by this one guy uh, over the last few decades and i think yinch is and they've all got these weird yeah, yeah. names of <laughs> five letters that mean nothing yinch and devon and yeah star or something um yeah uh, i think yinch is generally regard the highest regarded of those and it's this the, the perfect thing of a um simple rule set you can glance at the board and just see what's happening right, mm. right as it is uh, from a, in a second, but um, the actual gameplay is really complicated and deep. It is, yeah. Uh, yeah. You, you, it's one yeah, of those where you can set, think several kind of moves ahead. If I move here, and then he's going to move there, and then yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. yeah. It's a good one. That well, mm. I, I quite like live with the way in which mm. what you play and the different type of bug the way you move it around so you've kind of got that perfect information you've got that a bit like chess where the different things do things differently but because of how you place things there's kind of a bit of an organic feel to where everything moves mm. so you're not tied to a board like other things yeah there's no board can, in hive, is there? no there's no mm. board and it, it's this placement but that you know the area in which you play on is confined by the other things, but it has got that fluid movement. So I kind of quite like that element to yeah, it. Yeah, Hive's a good one. Yeah, Hive is a perfect game for taking to the cafe. We found mm. we used to sit and uh, go to the cafe on a Sunday lunchtime and play Hive in Paula. <laughs> That's nice. Lovely pieces that you can just uh, play on a um, a cafe table and don't mind whether you spill coffee in it because it's wiped off. <laughs> plastic yeah. pieces. So how about something like Domino's then? Mm. Talking about drinking establishments <laughs> and nice chunky pieces. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I'd, I've never played Domino's. As, as no, me either, I don't think. No, no. Leave now I've just opened that can of worms. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Is it right that there's, um, uh, like, playing cards, uh, you can do lots of different games with a set of Domino's, and some are... Uh, fairly basic, and, and you, but you can get more um, strategic ones. Or is there just one game you play in Domino's? I th- Does anyone know? No. I, I don't know. No, I, I, don't I think know. I'm a, I've only ever played one kind of game, and it's fairly basic. Um, yeah. But a colleague at work brought in their um, Mahjong set the other day, and, and that, I think, is distinctly an abstract mm type of strategy game um, mm. where you've got four players and so you do know that all the pieces are out and so there is a certain element of there is this information because, you know, if you've not got it, someone else has. But obviously it's mystery information in that respect. So you can't tell who for definite until you start doing things and then that can indicate something. So... There, there's a bit of deduction, um, but there's still a certain element of strategy as well. Mm. But my vote personally would be for Hive. Mm. Would it be fair to say that um, these abstract strategy games can be a bit more um, intense than uh, more thematic games? Because you're purely mind versus mind, mm. who's cleverest. You don't get the chance to be quite as role play or silly like you can in in some games yeah it's you kind of it's yeah and i know what you're saying it's more of a kind of chess thing where you've got your head down and you're concentrating you, you're trying yeah. to you're trying to plan ahead aren't you and there's more thought goes into what they're going to do what you're going to do how do you counteract that whereas with a with a more thematic board game you just kind of Maybe rolling some dice and seeing what will happen. Maybe literally, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sometimes it's just 
Oh, that's probably the best move. But I want to attack you. Hey, yeah. Well, and I think they probably they probably re- um, reward repeated play as well. If you if you start to get good at them, yeah. and you get better and better. Oh, some of them get very deep. Mm-hmm. I mean, abstract strategy game includes things like noughts and crosses, which can't get that deep. <laughs> but, uh, but Connect <laughs> Four, you know, I suppose Connect Four is another yeah. classic that oh, yeah. is okay. that step up. It's that step up from noughts and crosses, which not has that inevitable problem of you're good you get to a point where you're good enough you're never gonna lose the game uh whereas at least with connect four it's that you know it's the spiritual successor almost to noughts and crosses where actually the win loss is a lot easier to get to a point where you can win i think Mm -hmm. or Mm. uh but i think you're right in the it is a straight mental element one versus is another person and unlike you know a lot of the tabletop miniature games that i play where there is a strategy and different rules and this that and the other you're still playing the probabilities Mm. you know that some good dice rolls or some bad dice rolls at key point can sway the game for you and if you have got the best strategy but the dice loads you one evening you're just gonna lose whereas you play badly with chess you're going to lose. You play well with chess, you're probably going to win. Um, or with Go, or with Connect4, or with most of these other ones we've been playing, isn't it? I think I've mentioned on a previous podcast that when we when I discussed that I'd been playing chess with it, that the only way I like to play chess really is with a, a fairly tight time limit so that you can't get into these really intense, hour-long staring at the board mm. things because it's, it's, it's just... It's, I just don't find it. <laughs> it's it's just um, I want to be a bit more comfortable playing games. I don't want too much intensity. Yeah, I want to be have a bit of room to have fun. But yeah, um, but I guess, I guess as well, some people like about them. If, if you like uh, if you Absolutely. like chess and you like those kind of abstract games, that's that's probably what the appeal is. Yeah, you just enjoy stretching your mind to the absolute limit. Yeah, yeah. Or you just add cat meeples to chess and that'll be fine. <laughs> there are there are some ridiculous yeah, chess sets out there. <laughs> we can hardly there tell are. which pieces are which. There's also um I I just looked at this up on Wikipedia just uh, before we started here. There's um several thousand uh known chess variants that people have come up with over mm. the last few thousand years. Um including the, you know, regional versions of chess like Shogi and Shang-Chi and things, but uh, everyone who's ever gone to university and played played chess, and every maths department has someone coming up with a, a chess variant right now. <laughs> um, there's there's thousands of them. People just come up with them uh, not because they're gonna they want to design board games, but just to as a sort of mental exercise, really. I've seen some way I've got like a row of a row of castles on the back row, or a row of bishops, or something, and it's like the, yeah, there's yeah, um, things. A peasant revolt chess where one player has the, the the pieces and the other one just has millions of pawns. Mm. Well, not millions, maybe twenty. It's uh, <laughs> quite fun. Uh, there's there's penultima, uh, which is uh, two players sit down and and uh, to play chess, but they don't know how any of the pieces move. They have to move a piece, and then someone watching has to say, "No, that's an illegal move," and they've got to work it out as they go along. That's quite fun. <laughs> um, <laughs> Is it, is it the same moves, just they've been randomised to the piece, or just going, no, no, that one dances an S-shape, or is it defined? Yeah, you, you make up a, a totally new uh, way, uh, rule for how this piece moves. Like, oh, that the pawns don't move like pawns this time, they uh, move like draft pieces, <laughs> or something. <laughs> but you don't tell the players that. They've got to find it out for themselves. I've got a very nice alternative chess set that I picked up at uh, UK Games Expo a couple of years ago. Not because I wanted to play it, but just because I thought it was a lovely concept and beautiful pieces. And that's a game called Paco Sacco or Pazzo Shaco or It's a combination of Dutch and Esperanto, so I don't know how to pronounce it. Uh, but that's um, where you've got all the pieces and when you move a piece onto one of the opponent's pieces, instead of taking it, it combines into one uh, into a pawn dancing with a knight 
So one player can move it like a pawn, the other player can move it like a knight. And the aim of the game isn't to take the clothing king, but to combine it with one of your pieces. So it's a, it, Paco Chaco or Pato Chaco means peace. Paco Saco Chess. P A C O S A K O. That's it, yeah. Yeah. And um, I got that a couple of years ago just because it's a very nice object on its own. Uh, but when it, we just got it out a few months ago and played it, and it's actually a, it's an all right game. <laughs> as well. I mean, I, I didn't actually mind whether it would be an all right game or not. That's not really what, why I bought it, but uh, it seems actually quite interesting. You got whole, um, you got um, se- sequences of moves um, uh, where the pawn moves onto that, but that releases a knight from that uh, combination, which then moves over here and releases a queen, and which uh, then goes over to that knight, which goes back to that knight, which releases the queen again, which doesn't then take the king, and it's setting up all those um, that combination of moves, which gets more and more complicated as you go through the game. Mm. Yeah, um, I've looked at the picture pieces and i can understand why you've picked it up because they do look really intriguing but yeah my brain is running out my ears at the suggestion <laughs> of what <Yeah>. you do <laughs> yeah there's many interesting possibilities in the abstract game space and i'm sure there's many more still to be explored oh, yeah. as well yeah and we haven't even mentioned go yet and that's uh obviously no, no. the um quintessential uh abstract game 4,000 years old or something, and just beautiful yeah. conceptually. The uh, the definition of a game that's easy to learn and a lifetime to master. Absolutely. Cool. So I think that's us for today then. So thank you, uh, thank you, gentlemen, for, for talking to me. And if you want to play Paco Sacco chess with Tom, come down to the club and see us. <laughs> <laughs> and I will have you again. Yeah, I've played like two games now, so I'm an expert, I think. So Tom, Tom Lovell, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. And Tom Cauldron, thank you. It's a pleasure. Thanks for your guys time, guys, and we'll, uh, we'll speak to you again soon on the next episode. Goodbye for now. Bye. Bye. Bye.